You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. If it's Arab Shabbos Kodesh, Erev Shabbos Nisan, this must be Rizcha Daraisa. And Rabbi Yosef, this is our ultimate show. Four seasons. Now, it hasn't been four years exactly, but boy, there's been a, 120. Odd May of Esrim. I think we reached May of Esrim, pretty much. We've changed, we've changed class, for sure. You know, I, I want to say that you know, I, it's hard for me to go back and listen to some of the old shows, but I know one thing. We haven't gotten worse. <laughs> I, I, I think our quality has probably been the same or better. I think so. I, I would say so. Don't you agree? I agree, yes. And I think us here at the plant, the Abels and Hyman um, <coughs> company has always been on an upward arc, always pushing itself to make better products. Products, and listening to what consumers are saying, opening themselves up to more interesting markets, including um, Trader Joe's and other places throughout uh, the United States. And you know, I, I can tell you that uh, that model of quality, of getting better, of doing research in what people like and pushing the envelope and getting the best stuff out there, it has really honestly inspired me to do the same thing with our program. And I think we've done that. Now, we might not have been able to rise as precipitously great as Abel's did when they when they uh, brought out uh, some of those gourmet sausages. But I think we have tried. And today we're actually, you know, borrowing, you know, the Abel's model of trying to be inventive, and creative and different. What we're going to do is actually take some feedback that we, we asked last week for feedback and we have time is limited. So we have four issues that we're going to deal with before we get to it though. I, I want to applaud my, um, I'm going to stop calling you Sarah. Tyra. I have to. <laughs> That would be, that'd be a good idea, I think. Yeah. I think I think I have to. That'd be very nice. It'd be, I think I have to. It'd be okay. the the gras says that the purpose we're alive is to break the the shvios amidos, and I and my, this would be actually a great step further in your shvios amidos. Yes, I applaud you for it. No, no. Well, it actually has to do with the fact with the istalkus of of Rukhaya. Yeah, I understood. Yes. Right. So you know, in other words, if there was if there was a sarataira in reality. I could I could call you the uh, yes. the bizarro Saratera. Yes, the the anti <laughs> But if there is yeah, yeah, but if there's no <laughs> real Saratera anymore, you know, walking the face of the earth, you know, how people might be tell you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> it's like from the Shneas Larayas. So yes. it might be tell you from one to the other. So <laughs> so anyway, but as it is, of course, my my, my co-host, the you know, the, the Goin himself. How about that? The Goin himself, from Yosef Kafriel, the Yagav, <laughs> is in Detroit now. And I'm wondering, you know. By the way, you should know. And the official, if you go to an official uh, secular abbreviation dictionary on the web, right? I have. I have. A lot of weird stuff comes up on YGB. I know. R Y G B. R Y G B is, one of them is. Some you know bypass so like uh, stomach surgery. I forget what it's called. And the others, Rabbi Yosef Gabriel Beckhoffer. I see. And this is, by the way, I want everyone to know that he did not Google himself. 
This man is, look, the man who never opens a Steinsaltz, never opens an art scroll. One, of course I Google myself. Oh, you do Google yourself, yes. Yes, yes of course I do. <laughs> Makes you feel good. But anyway, the, the, the man who comes up second in a Google search on RYGB is now in DT, um, <laughs> DTMI, right? You're in DTMI right now, Detroit, Michigan. And yes. I... I I wonder, you know, I, I know you're there for family reasons, but you could probably, you know, feel what's going on there, the pulse of the Jews there, because they're really nervous about this bill that might pass that uh, will eliminate um, the fallback. Uh, in other words, in other words, we'd always be in daylight savings time, which would turn out that Zmani Tville in Detroit are going, is going to be, it's, you're not going to be able to have in chakras and go to work. Right. It's, right. It's, uh, so hard, the hard enough to be Jewish in Detroit as is. It's going to make it even harder. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder, you know, how that's... The House is probably not going to pass it. That's what I understand. Well, it, it already passed unanimously in the Senate. Right? Yeah, but the, the, because senators, they, they don't have the local communities to which they answer them. And the House, House members, they do. So basically, if let, let, let's... <coughs> you predict this is going to go down in flames. It's not going to pass, Right. It happened. What's it happened? I, I read it happened once before. But they actually implemented it for two or three years, and they saw it didn't work. I remember. Back you were, I remember when you were just still a troublemaker in elementary school. When they introduced it, so um, it probably. But you predict it's going to go down, and you think it's probably going to go down through the power of Orthodox Jews whispering in the ears of the congressman. Orthodox Jews and farmers. No. Uh, anybody lives in Detroit, even if you're not Jewish, you don't want your kids to take a school bus at, at uh, in pitch dark. It's dangerous. Right. Now, we also have to know that the reason why Detroit is in the pickle that it's in is due to that great anti-Semit, Henry Ford. He wanted to be on New York time? Is that the idea? He wanted to keep it on Eastern Standard Time. He wanted to get the maximum amount of hours out of his workers. And because of that, he made sure that in that the line that separates Eastern and Central Standard Time, Detroit would be on the other side of it. And um, and that's one of the reasons why it's going to be so difficult. Well, we'll see what happens there. You know, the uh, I'm sure that the Rabbonim of Detroit will be glad to hear from the Goyne himself, uh, perhaps some Eitz Atoibis. But let's talk about, this is a mailbag issue. So we got four, uh, we've picked four out of the thousands of responses that we got. <laughs> it's incredible that we, the type of editing we need to do to come up with four. <laughs> but time restraints make it impossible. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps those of you that are that are part of Bechoffer's Patreon, <laughs> if you're going to pay for Bechoffer's Patreon site, maybe you can get more of that, and, you know, more of the content. <laughs> By the way, I'm waiting for you to say, to change it to our podcast site, not my podcasts, right? My podcast on your on your blog site that you have to click on for people to get this show. You write says my, my podcast. It's been saying that all the time. My podcast, my. We get out the business here. Okay, all right. Anyway, so let us <laughs> let us go to the four questions that have been picked out of the millions. Here we go. So, um, Rabbi Yosef, why don't you read it uh, to me? Okay, so R- 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 Herb has said, great shows. 
if there's such a thing as a mean drusha, then in Israel, to say that the recent horrible attack of Nebrach is connected to the Pier of Reb Chaim's that's how it would qualify. The easy topic would be, what is your take on the subject? So that isn't actually my suggestion. More interesting discussion, I think, is your view on this idea of going viral as an instinctive result to tragedy, reaction to tragedy. So, of course, he's right. You know, it's not a coincidence for somebody to get up and say, oh, this Chaim's fear is, uh, cannot be seen as the reason for people getting killed in the neighborhood. But he is right on the other end that uh, we try to find reasons. And many, many years ago, as I'm sure you remember, in the 1980s, I think it was, when Shas was first founded, they had a Knesset member with Yitzhak Peretz. And there was a, uh, a bus accident, a horrendous bus accident with the train and 22 kids from Petach Tikva were killed. And uh, he said, because they started opening the movie theaters in Petach Tikva on Shabbos, so therefore this happened to the, to the children of Petach Tikva. So um, obviously the people tried to hide I think he ruined his uh, political career with that statement. But uh, that is the, the, the Ramisan does go back to the Rambam, which says that, doesn't, that a person is supposed to try and figure out why, what, what requires Tikkun in the wake of some tragedy or something? Yeah, it's, also, it's actually in Hilchus Tainus, but go ahead. What did I say was Hilchus Shuba? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's Hilchus Tainus. Sorry, that's you. So, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm tired from the trip. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just keep on making excuses. Four excuses. <laughs> Hilchus Tainus, it all begins with Tainus. I knew it was Hilchus Tainus, yes. Okay. I was, by the way, I was supposed to answer this question. You were supposed to read it to me, and I was going to answer it. But go ahead. You asked me my opinion. No, no, that's not what it was. You were supposed to read it, and I was going to answer. No, but then when you after I read it, you said, "What do you think about it?" Did you? I didn't say that. I asked you to no. read it. But go ahead. Okay. Well, you see, uh, the, keep on pontificating. I'm going to dump on you in a minute. Go ahead. Everybody knows that program is not scripted. Then. So the um, so the <laughs> so I I I. I I think that people like to be told things in, uh, conveniently, and uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate because um, you're not supposed to see imagination. You're my, in the mindset of others or other people's responsibility, but in your possible own responsibility and what you might have done wrong. And I, it's fascinating in this case that, and I don't know exactly what to make of it, that uh, the two, two of the people who were killed were two Ukrainian non-Jews, who were refugees because of the war. Yeah, well, look, irony is clearly part of it, and um, it, it really shows quite a bit, especially since one of the people who was killed uh, was an Arab uh, Israeli policeman, and, yeah. um, which I think needs to be mentioned, and along with the Druze policeman that was killed in the attack, I believe in Beersheba. Um, so those, those yeah. I think people jump to these viral connections. Everything is snap today. We've talked often about assimilation versus a culturalization. So even in communities that are not assimilated, we have a culturalized to this idea of the immediate, what this shows. What does this terrible thing indicate and why? So the idea of coming to, uh, as as Herb says, uh, this phenomena is not only based on that Rambam that we don't want everything to be um, random and that we want to really find a God that we could do personal or community chuba for. It's also because this is the zeitgeist is cause and effect, right? 
and whether it was the people who uh, Chancellor, Chancellorville was Trump's rhetoric or or anything, there's always yeah this is the reason this happened. Um, and 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 obviously when you're a Frum person, uh, then it's going to be about God. It's going to be about God who is directing this. I, I'll tell you one of the things that I thought, and again. Um, it's not really what Herb wants us to, to talk about, but I think Herb should hear and so should everybody else. There's no question, of, there's no question about it that B'nai Brock achieved a national prominence and maybe even worldwide prominence for the people around the world that saw uh, what occurred in terms of the million people that were uh, around B'nai Brock and, and were mishtatev in the Levi of Rav Chaim. So, to say that it happened to show that Rav Chaim Shmira was no longer in the city, which is the meme, I assume, what I would say is it really showed that the, the Pearsum of B'nai Brak led to, hmm, some, wherever they were from Shanin, they decided that they were going to, at, at this point, uh, use, oh, this is someplace we could go. And maybe when they saw all those cameras in B'nai Brak, whoever sent this uh, murderer into the city said, hmm, this might be a place where we can do maximum damage because there probably aren't going to be uh, a number of Sabra uh, gun-toting people all around you to basically uh, kill you before you can do anything. So that's what I would say is something that we could maybe take from that and, and maybe temper the sense of personament when we realize that we're still living in a dangerous situation. And I think that's a, a, a response that, to me, is measured. Yeah, okay. It's about, you know, uh, your way is, uh, uh, is it because there's a kitchen in Jamaica because so many people showed up to Leviathan? No, no, I wasn't saying that. Farkert, the fact that so many people came was a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. And the fact that nobody was hurt, the fact that it was, right? But I think that what maybe planners need to think about is that with, it's not only Eden who are able to see stuff that's being streamed live what's being streamed live in a public way can be streamed everywhere and i think the people that hate us hmm this seems to be a site because b'nai brock ezra chaim said when the scuds were falling um that b'nai brock won't be hit the point though is b'nai brock sort of was off the radar it's not the capital right and, and therefore when b'nai brock achieved prominence i think there is some connection because again these these attacks are planned, and, and this really gets into the difference between the unleashing of a, of a maka and a human being, right? When you talk about a bus accident or something like that, or tidal wave or terrible rains or brush fires, that's something which I think is more in line with the idea of the Rabbeinu Shalom sending an Einish. When we're talking about Rishoyim, who are hell-bent on killing, and and, and 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 murdering Jews as they did, I think there, I think it's wrong to start being toil of cause and effect, especially as we know the bechira ra the people are shy to. Okay, and his reason. Let's go on. All right. So our second question comes from. I guess we will give him a pseudonym. <clears throat> okay. So we'll call him um, Yaakov. So Yaakov has a uh, has three points, and uh, let's take a look at uh, point number one. Uh, you know, I guess I'll read it and respond. 
the average person doesn't have the kalim to define and differentiate between varying levels of Torah scholarship. There are many individuals that are described as having incredible bikiyas or knowing everything. It would appear, though, that the velt often means something different about different people when using the same appellations. For example, how would you define and differentiate between the bikiyas of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Rav Herschel Schechter, Rav Osher Weiss, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, Rav Yeo Khan, Rav Simcha Maimon, Rav Avadi Yosef? Okay, the, uh, the next part of the question is really more personal. So this is his question. All right, so I have to tell you, you maybe you know about Rav Simcha Maimon. I don't. Um, he's the upcoming I, star. Uh, I don't really he's, know. He's, he's, about, he's, he's a little bit younger than us, and he's like considered, he has, he's, he's considered to have a photographic memory. He never forgets anything he learns. I see. Well, I remember, you know, I, I knew and had, had, had a number of conversations with Shas Cohen, I'm not sure if Shas Cohen is the uh, is the same. Um, Rav Yoel Khan, um, I know as uh, which many people have, but she, since he was the Chayzer, means he was able to memorize the Rebbe Shmuzim given on Shabbos, Mila B'Mila, to bring it down after Shabbos, mm-hmm. which we hours and hours and hours of Shmuzim. I see. So he was. It's a Chabad. He's a Chabad script. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you'll talk about it. Look, and Chocham Avadia, of course, uh, anyone who's really in the Oil Matayra has to know about him. And anyone who's really listening to what's happening and knows a little bit about the important Piske Aloha that are coming out, know about, of course, Rabbi Shachter and Bosher Weiss. Chaim Shmulevitz is an interesting, um, interesting uh, placement over here. Um, but again, I think people that are involved in learning a Yankel uh, know the difference between them and realize that Rav Chaim's Bikiyas is beyond what most normal people say is Bikiyas and Kolatei Rakula. They don't mean Bikiyas in um, every Sikta the Rakana or every Zoyer Chodosh or... Um, or every place. Rav Avaya's strength was he was bulky in the most Gubarfin of places from the 15th century, right? That's, that's true. And I, again, I, yeah. would, I would argue, and I have, the Chocham Avadiyah's Bikiyas is in many ways jaw-dropping and really unmatched. And I don't know if, you know, it would, you probably have to go back generations to find that. I'm actually more impressed by Rafaim's Bikiyas because I find it more essential. I find the Bikiyas that he has is a Bikiyas of discovering the Rishon in another Mesechta that in his beer of the related Sugya goes and explains this idea that he quotes in his Be'er Halochas in the Dera Hamuna. And that is, Bikiyas is not just a Tshuva Sefer that spoke about this topic. He doesn't have Chacham Avadiyas, Bikiyas and Tshuvas, and he's not interested. I think when we say Rav Chaim's Bikiyas, Rav Chaim has essential, incredible, correct Bikiyas. It's a, it's a little, it's Bikiyas, his Bikiyas and Rishonim is like Rav David Karliner, but plus all the midrashim that he has. So you cannot mention Rav Herschel Schechter and Rav Asher Weiss in the same breath with, with Rav Chaim or Chacham Avadya. Rav Herschel Schechter is an incredible cup in terms of Hasmada, in terms of his Amelis, in terms of his Gishmak. And therefore, he, when he gave Shiurim, 
and he and, and he and he in the psokim, he is shoyled on, on, on a wealth of wealth of material and analyzed well. But you know, Herschel Schachter compared to the other students of the Rav and Yu and other members of the Hanola and the Rabbeim stands above them in terms of what he knows. And therefore, I think, you know, uh, he doesn't, that's not true, right? However, his, his knowledge base is very, very firm and broad and not mitzumtzum. So you, you, I think a person who knows them realizes that it's not that we're trying to just, you know, call everything the greatest person who ever lived. I think what we're trying to do is, is emphasize that Rav Herschel Schechter isn't just a London who is able to be Mavara Sugya brilliantly and analytically. And I think that's in terms of that. Rav Asher Weiss, similarly, you know, Rav Asher Weiss is, surprises you because he comes from leadership from the Kleisenberger school and he seems to be Shailet on uh, on the important uh, chuvas and poiskim, but it's really not that different than the divrayatzid himself. Although he does have, I think, a little more of a uh, a standard critical eye uh, than the Kleisenberger had, and I think he's less uh, he will get less involved in chassidus uh, things. But can you say that his bekias <clears throat> is anything close? No, <laughs> but he is a he is a person. Who you are proud to take as a place? I would say my take on Rabbi Weiss is, is that he he is not clouded by uh, too much material. Chokhamavadu is able to juggle hundreds and hundreds of sources. I don't think Rabbi Weiss cares about those sources, and I think he has a good sense of which are the important ones and which ones he has to zero in on. So I would say you have to put those in a different level altogether. Rav Chaim. I was so good here, she heard from him, and I have read his shtiklach uh, that are printed in a couple of places. Rav Chaim is just an Eli. Rav Chaim Shmulevitz was probably a, a greater brain just in terms of the way his mind worked and the quickness of his understanding. <clears throat> and, and, and you're right, he is taka a great, incredible brain in terms of his understanding and his depth, the way he understood Rav Shimon. But I don't think Rav Chaim uh, it, ever pretended to have the type of bikiyas that Chacham Avadio or Chaim Kanievsky has. Um, and I think w- you are correct, Yankel, that you need to be more exact. The, the problem is, just like this program, we don't have time to go into all those exact details. So therefore, we we download the easy statement like, Right. And for the average balabas, that's probably good enough to say, okay, I have to respect that. But I think if you're in the world of learning and you need to know who to call, I think it's the same thing. Let's say you'd be um, in, in, in the, uh, the defense ministry and you needed to know what sort of missile you needed to be sent or you needed to know what, which, which team needed to be go to deal with a certain uh, crisis then you do know the difference between the Navy SEALs and the SWAT team and, the, you know, the FBI's uh, uh, super hostage team. There's a difference. And I think the difference is known. And uh, the problem is we can't always go into those appellations. Did you want to talk about uh, Simcha Maiman and Yorokan? I think we dealt, dealt with that, right? Yeah, by the way, two, well, two brief Nakudos. First of all, the famous has this uh, famous... A critique in his uh, the uh, biography, which is published of him, which he says that everybody knows how to say a slava, which is a slava of Shimonik or a Chaim Dick, 
but nobody, very few people know how to say, if as far as Rabbi Akiva Dekor, Rabbi Yishmael Dekor. And he bemoaned that situation. I think that the very fact that Rabbi Hashemulevitz was able to know uh, this Vala is Rabbi Shmuel Dek, and that's Rabbi Akiva Dek, that in, indicates a, a higher madrega of, of, of a higher grasp and a higher assessment than uh, almost anybody else mentioned here. Um, so that is something to be uh, impressed by. And another interesting tip is that um, um, people don't necessarily know this, but Professor Schechter was the editor of the Orayosh. In other words, when they reprinted it, he went through the Orayosh or Daf al Daf, evidently, through the Marmacoimus. So, so I, we went to the Orayosh or Daf al Daf, you know, page by page. You gain a lot of knowledge, too. All right. Uh, look, there's no question about it that the Rav Hellman Safer. Uh, uh, or Yoshra's. Actually, I bought it, I think, on your recommendation. I think so. I know it's one of your, I think so. I think I bought it. And you're right. It was one of my go-to books, yeah. Yes. All right. So why don't you read number two? And Okay, number two. Chassim typically understands supporting Tzadikim as a vital aspect of the fine Tzadik. Being a poil Yeshua's is a vital aspect of Tzadik. It's often Mimon as another example of the Haredi Litvish of being influenced by the Chassim. That the Litvish now retell seemingly supernatural Maiselach about Gedolim. It is really betraying, is it really betraying Litvish Torah, Miss Litvish If, excuse me, in the context of the telling of the story, for example, the Reb Chaim Chagodim story is that Torah is a movement of the universe and an Ish Makusha with Torah has these things, the kinds of things happening to him. So um, the short answer, yes, is it, it is a problem. It's Megarea, actually. And uh, the, because uh, I, I mentioned I mentioned this week about my, my shalashot script, some of his thistle? I don't think so. So um, I was I was going to, say, uh, to have shalashot one-on-one in his apartment in, in Gibat Mordechai. And he said to me, this uh, something which, you know, there are very few things which remain on my mind fresh as when I heard them. But this is one of the few things he said. Nowadays, people, they get, they the stripler of Shach. And the reason they mechabe the stripler of Shach is because they can tell Moifsim about the stripler of Shach. And nowadays, the person we mechabe the most of anybody in the world was the author from Slabodka. You couldn't say a single Moifes, the author from Slabodka had been quiet. But he was the most brilliant and insightful person one would ever meet in one's life. And yes, the um, there is this uh, I, I, idea that if you focus on the moifsim, it diminishes your focus on the on the mensch and what his avoda was and what he represented. Reb Chaim became for many people, at least during the course of his lifetime, uh, a person who was mufka from Elmazet, and therefore his anhogas are not are not things which we can really easily follow. So the uh, it is. Uh, 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 the since that's the case, so people came up with Moifs in order to say, okay, well, we can't be him, but let's tell up as much. You know, that's uh, I think that that's um, the two types of Gdolim. the Gdolim who are we can be role models and learn that we're proud they're on their uh, that we're on their team. So that's the type of Gdolim Reb Chaim was, um, proud we're on his team, but at the same time, you know, the uh. The other type got a, a role model is not Reb Chaim was or could have been. Well, I, I think you responded 
pretty nicely to that. I would just add a couple of things. First thing is, is that this uvda uh, of the Litvishevelt or the Mesnagdishevelt or whatever you want to call it, sort of absorbing the model of Sipuri Tzadikim really started uh, close to 200 years ago. Um, after the Petir of the Goyen, um, when you had the Sefer Elias Elio that was written. And the Vilna Gon, you know, surprisingly became like the, the first uh, hallowed Chesidish Rebbe type personality where, uh, you know, various uh, editions of Elias Elio came out. And it was interesting that um, along with it came others farm from the Litvish Shevelt. You have told us Odom, which of course is the uh, the biography. So you think it was a uh, Excuse me. The response is Right, right. No, but but the told us Odom, which of course is um, is if also Rav Chaim's brother, Rav Zelmula. So Rav Zalman. So what you but what's interesting though is is that if you do a re, if you do research there, you'll see that the stories are not of the same ilk. They aren't necessarily of super ruach hakodesh and moivsim and almost miraculous things. Uh, however, it, it really ties into the same uh, desire to be able to to connect to these people by telling over stories which are different, which 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 are amazing, which also allow you to sort of speak about them without knowing almost anything about the way they learn and the way they think. So, and, and it's definitely converged to a it's like It's like like the average baseball fan. Everybody's garnished back in statistics and all these other numbers they come up with, but they're the fan of the team. Yeah, I guess so. I, I would put it more in this, if you are going to use a sports metaphor, you know, I would say that um, it, it's a way of not really knowing the quality of each player, but knowing about some of the backstory of how they struggled and how they came there and, or something like that. And I think part of that is, is, is a weakness, an intellectual weakness. Uh, you know, the Alter Rebbe was fond of saying that Moivsim, by, by the Magid, the Moivsim going into the tish, the Moivsim yeah. like under the table. Under the Benko. Right. But basically what they wanted was they wanted they wanted to be Shoyev Ruh HaKadish from the learning. And he said mm-hmm. and, and and so even from the, the great Siddhish Rebbe of the second generation, the, the Alta Rebbe himself, you see that Maivsim are definitely secondary, as as the Ramam teaches us. However, we, we know our esteemed host. Let's talk about that for a second. Um now this of course was uh, said over at the Leviah by Rav Chaim Zetzal's brother-in-law of Rav Yitzchok. And, um, and to me, look, I'm going to say something here. I think when we're all involved in learning, things happen. Now, it doesn't, it's not as mafurish, but so many times I'm working on a sugya and, and something happens that now helps me explain that sugya. Uh, and I think you've experienced it, I've experienced it. As Chachamah the Ramban and Chachamah Difinavi, there's a certain ruach which is. Uh, but, but, uh, but we all know when we're learning, our antennas, yeah. our antenna, and they're not necessarily the antenna of a grasshopper, are 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 are, are attuned to everything that's going around us, and punked the conversation you happen to hear now helps you with this 
Inyan and Seder Zerayim. Now, and again, it's not as mafurish as what occurred, that, oh, the, the exact type of grasshopper jumped on his table so he'd be able to, to do it. But I think we all, people who are Shakua in a Torah mentality, find that the Torah's tendrils end up encompassing almost all the information around them in helping them in, in, in various aspects. And, and what I would say is, instead of looking at it as, oh, this is a great moifus bear of Chaim, I would say anybody who learns, and it, it doesn't have to be the ish makusha with the Torah, that, that God, in other words, God wants uh, Rav Chaim to write a sefer on Chagavim, so in order for that to happen, the Rabbi Nishon pushes the button, so this type of Chagav. I think all of us who are involved in Torah, and we try, we are going to discover that the world around us is constantly speaking to us and sending us information and help. Okay, that's, I'll, I'll, I'll read the second. Um, I'm, this is the last one. Okay, so, is there a mystique surrounding Israeli G'daylin that drives Americans there? Is there a perceived greatness seen in the precious or cultural differences that to an extent European-born American G'daylin shared that isn't necessarily rooted in reality? At least the extent of the disparity between the way Israeli G'daylum are revered by Americans more than American ones. In other words, putting aside the question of whether or not it's healthy to bypass the, quote, chain of command, unquote, to be Shreel Eitzah by the biggest and best, do Americans perceive, consciously or subconsciously, correctly, that Israel is where another level of greatness resides? Okay, this is yes. a, so this is a, a very important point uh, and a subtle one. When I came back from Eretz Yisrael in ninth grade, I'm supposed to answer this, and you. I know, to... but I, I know, but I never mind. I, this came to mind immediately, so I was going to interject. When I came back from Eretz Yisrael in ninth grade, I, I was disappointed by the uh, level of learning, which was lower among my peers in America. America was in Eretz Yisrael. I spoke to my uncle, Ezra Binyamin Shachet Shlita, Rosh Hashiva Chabad in LA, about this. He was at the time of Shgiach and Neri in Toronto. And he said, by, uh, you can comment on this too, by, in, by the Eretz Yisrael Dikhe, so they, they do better earlier. And the Americans only, we started, we, we started catching up at age 16. And obviously, the Israelis have a tremendous head start. But he said by age 23, they're more or less the same. Most of them. But I think that that's 90%. But the 10%, or maybe 5%, and maybe 2%, maybe 3%, there's the, the ones who never, we can never catch up to, those are the ones who I think become the going who you don't find in America. Go ahead. Okay. Look, look, this is what your uncle told you uh, is definitely a salve to many, especially, and, and we discovered, of course, we who have gone to Eretz Yisrael and spent a number of years there, and we realized that, um, I, as I think, you know, Rav Soloveitchik put it nicely in one of his Maimarim, that there is an American ability to ask why, that the Israelis are sort of like, <laughs> don't have and we're never trained to do and i think in, in many ways you you when you have the american lamden who catches up they are able to think outside of the box and to able to turn the tables 
on what has been the standard way of looking at things. Right. The Gemara says that one of us goes up, the Gemara says when one of us goes up to, to Eretz Yisrael, they're better than us now. But the, when we, the B'nai Bavel, go up over there, then we out we, we can outstrip them. It's sort of, you're right, the same phenomena, but it comes, whether it's a Gullus mentality or it's an American freedom mentality, whether it's a mentality that comes from the type of Western a philosophical or open public school type of thinking about everything, you know. So I think that 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 is a very important thing to, to understand as well. Um, and 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 Rav Nochum Partsovich appreciated that, uh, and he took as you know he took Brodsky as his aidim, um, and he, of course as Rav Ashari Ailey as well. But the point was, uh, yeah, as more American, more more. What what Yankel doesn't understand is that the the drop. That occurred when Rav Moshe and Rav Yankiv, and that door was gone. Um, that hollow has never been really replaced. And he is correct that part of it was the fact that these gedayim, whether it was Rav Ruderman or Rav, Hank, Rav, Rav Hankin, uh, Rav Hutner, um, or, or any of the even the Kloisenberger Rebbe and others, these were people from Europe, and has had America been matzliach. In a homegrown going in the same way, the Yankel's question seems to imply that if we searched, we could find it. Um, and it, it's it really, in a way, is tough. The uh, you know you, you definitely have. There's no going America's going to live like Rabbi Weinstein, even the greatest of them. In the Dachai Pashtus. Yes, I think that the. Um, you know, it, it, look, Rav Aaron Leib was not considered the, the greatest, but you're right, to to find people in America, and again, there, there was obviously a lot of gems, and you've discovered some of them, I've discovered some of them, uh, who, 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 who uh, in a way, labored in uh, obscurity, and still were great, but in the door that he's... Don't talk about yourself. <laughs> in the door that he's referring to. I was referring to more, you know, of, of these Rabbanim and that, 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 that like Rav Price and others who were in places and people didn't appreciate them. But in terms of pure American, look, Rav Gifter became Rav Gifter in Europe, right? He was, he was definitely an incredibly bright young man. He went to Europe, solidified himself. Um, you know, the, the, the Novominsker uh, could also be in terms of, you know, definitely an American person, but really raised very much in a in uh, an, an, an insulated European mentality, um, it, it, when we talk about American gedolim, and I think that he's probably right, Yankel, that some of those even American ones were kaf, were kafuf to what occurred in Eretz Yisrael after Amishas Ptira. I, I think what happened was a complete and total passing of the torch. Nobody stepped up here. Rab David's Anivus. And 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 maybe other aspects of Rav David and others didn't allow like a sense of oh we we can keep this going um, and there was a complete being coupled to Rav Shlomo Zalman and and then Rebel Yoshev and I think that that was, which occurred in the eighties and nineties and the, the first years of the two thousands pretty much settled the idea that we don't have you know the Gedolim here anymore. Um, I want to point. I want to point out something which you you and I both know a Talmud from uh, 
Yenner Moisit. And uh, he, he went after high school for three years in Hebron. And then he came back and he became Oisfrum, went to Harvard, achieved uh, advanced degrees, married a Jewish woman. So I asked him one point, I said, what happened? And uh, he said, in Hebron, the learning was unbelievable, incredible. There was nothing in the secular world which compares, you know, even being at Harvard to the level of learning in Hebron. But it came to Machshava. They were, they were in, in kindergarten. And they never budged from being kindergarten. And the same childish Machshavas and Hashkafas, which they had with someone from kindergarten would have. And that is, that, that is uh, you know, I don't know if the deficit in Machshava and Hashkafa is necessary, a necessary result of the God, God was in uh, you know, it is like a, a zero sum game, but um, you know the big. But in terms of Bali Machshava, um, there were, of course, there's some Fisher, etc. But a lot of Bali Machshava were people who did come from Chutzlaretz, like Reb Dessler and others who received their training here, so to speak, in how to think. And, and, and I think you, you need to add something to that: is that they had struggles like either in Amuna or other issues that allowed them to articulate the Machshava in a way that was exciting and novel and spoke to people as opposed to just reciting. I think that the, um, and I think, I think Yanko is right when he says to bypass the chain of command, there are clearly Rabbonim in the United States that you can be shoyal eitzah that would probably give you a better eitzah than if you're an American person than a godel or a rov in Eretz Yisrael. And you probably should go to them because they're the ones that understand where you're coming from. Um, look, we could probably come up with a list easily. The, the, what, it's interesting, however, that there has now arisen a large Anglo- uh, you know, American type gadol in in Eretz Yisrael as well, but I I I think that there there probably needs to be a greater emphasis on rabbanim here in America or gedolim in America, whether it's Rav Shlaiman Miller, whether it's um, you tell me. Uh, you know, we could probably come up with others. Rav Aaron Lapiansky. Uh, these are people that you could probably get a better etza. If you are an American boy or American girl, I, I think that Yankel is right that that there is a prejudice and there's an assumption that oh I, I want to go to the greatest. Being shoyel eights is different than getting a a psak or an understanding in a sugya, and I think that uh, I would say eights is should always be eights should always be given for people who are closer to your mindset and mentality and understand your nisuyinus and where they were coming from. So that is probably, Yankel is right. Uh, the idea that we need to go to Rav Chaim or the next Rav Chaim, to Eretz Yisrael for, for what we should do. I think that that's probably tied into his first question about glorifying, um, or the second question, about glorifying their answers as if they are somehow tinged with 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 a ruach hakodesh that is probably 
uh, as you said, it's probably not there. Um, Rabbi, Meir, Rabbi Meir Schlesinger said to us once years ago, he said that he had a certain veer in, in England who was a staunch supporter of Paul Agura, except when he came to money, as we shall see. And uh, the Rabbi Schlesinger approached him with a donation. He said, no, you know, when I give donations, I give all my money to Satmar. So he said, what do you mean, Satmar? You don't know anything that Satmar holds about. So he says, yeah, but at least they know the money is going to be going to support Torah. So there is this um, idea, this notion, which I think is false, which people have is that somehow the more close society, the more holy it is, and the more accomplishes, and the more worthwhile it is to invest in it. In other words, if your investment is for the purpose of getting all of my bar, this is the most efficient investment you can make. And again, those are usually the type of assumptions of people that are the Rabbonim here. Does there need, I would say that um, it, it's happening. I think there are probably, whether it's the YU Muswachim and others, you know, I think that there, there is a young group of Rabbonim out there that aren't just kowtowing and say they can't say anything. And whether it's Eitan Fine or others, there are people out there. And I think that uh, it, it would be correct uh, to stop the the flow, <laughs> let's go to Eretz Israel. That's the only place we can find stuff. Um, uh, on the other hand, I guess we can end with this: is that maybe uh, the fact that every people vote with their feet, maybe there is a a, a call for you know for these to to do tighten the ship up. And to make it, you know, to, to, be, to be more mockbit on the type of insularity uh, that's necessary. I think that the, uh, you know, perception means a lot. And look, no one's coming to us. <laughs> but, but the point is, I think that the, uh, you, know, you know, there needs to be a, a, a perception that you can live as a total Isha Tayyur, a total, ins- you could be, un- you're not going to be affected and you're not going to be jaundiced uh, by what's out there. Um, so I would say that that's uh, the way we can do on season four. And uh, uh, yes, and I know that um, uh, you, I, I, you should only have Simcha uh, Nachas from your extended your family and extended family. We're going to miss you. Meanwhile, we're going to be percolating some some great stuff, which we hope to catch you on some next Arab Shabbos a couple of weeks from now. Take care, everybody. Have a good chodesh. Be well, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.